Very transitional radio for planet Earth. You are tuned to KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. KMUE Eureka, 88.1 FM. KLAI, Laytonville, 90.3 FM. FM Translator, K258BQ, heard at 99.5 on your FM dial in Shelter Cove. And worldwide, we are everywhere on the World Wide Web. The information superhighway faster than the speed of sound at KMUD.org. The time is 7 o'clock. You are tuned to Ask Your Herb Doctor. Support for KMUD comes from listeners like you and from Chautauqua Natural Foods, locally owned for over 25 years. They specialize in local and organic produce, natural groceries, nutritional supplements, and body care products. Chautauqua Natural Foods is open Monday through Saturday from 9 to 7, Sunday from 10 to 5, just off the town square in Garberville. And support for KMUD comes from Midnight Arrow Unlimited. Anything, anywhere, anytime. Dave Sky A&P at Garberville Airfield. The next voice you hear will be the Herb Doctor live from Studio B in Redway, California. Good evening and uh, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, For those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8pm, we're both licensed medical herbalists. Uh, We trained and graduated in England uh, with a master's degree in herbal medicine and we run a clinic in Garberville here in California where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD, KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject of thinking outside the box and uh, the relevance of thinking outside the box is uh, novel and new approaches to cancer treatment uh, definitely thinking outside the box rather than the deterministic viewpoint of killing cancer cells so number here if you live in the area is 923-3911 or if you live outside the area the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD so people that listen to the show tonight are who either have or know people who have uh, diagnoses of cancer uh, it could be very relevant to those people listening and I'd encourage you to call in with any questions uh, that you might want to uh, put to either myself or Dr. Pete about this month's show. So, cancer then has uh, traditionally been viewed as something to destroy uh, and to this end, the mainstream of treatment is either what's known as cytotoxic cell-killing drugs uh, which poison the body or this directed focused radiation, which does no better. It's all uh, sidle, that is, it uh, kills the cells directly, uh, with also the associated collateral damage and inflammation that comes from the treatment, either widespread or localised. Now, the evolution of thinkers who challenge dogma has always hailed new breakthroughs in our understanding, uh, and novel approaches to cancer treatment are also making themselves known. The uh, co-discoverer, a Nobel Prize winner, James Watson, re- recently made some observations regarding cancer and its treatment. Uh, 
and his have again been taken further, and a very much outside-the-box theory has emerged. And Dr. Pete, then he uh, joins us in a moment here, will be asking him for his uh, his viewpoint on it, because he's very much an outside-the-box thinker, as most of you perhaps who've tuned in to him have uh, recognised. Now, most people are under the uh, mistaken belief, and myself included, um, that uh, antioxidants uh, are always good for you uh, in the diet, the more the better. Um, so, But this is not true, and sometimes these very antioxidants can fuel cancer metabolism. So, again, let's have some uh, lateral thinking here and um, get our heads around some of the... I know it's going to be a little bit heavy for some people, perhaps if they're not really science-minded, but uh, um, Dr. Pete will hopefully outline the uh, questions that I put to him so far as the uh, physiology and uh, the, the chemistry of uh, the uh, what we call the redox system in the body, the reduction oxidation processes that are so important and necessary for regular cell functioning to uh, to occur. Uh, and then once we elucidate the uh, redox activity within the body, we can also understand better some of the novel approaches to cancer treatment. So uh, what is it? <laughs> what, what rather what it is uh, that we thought uh, we understood about cancer and antioxidants for example uh, and in what context then does the latest understanding shed new light on the subject so firstly um dr pete thanks so much for joining us again hi dr pete hi i'm here <laughs> no problem okay so uh, as always uh, just to introduce yourself your uh, professional academic background to give people who perhaps have never listened to you before uh, an understanding of where your uh, research uh, uh, merits are okay um 1968 i had uh, been uh, studying more or less independently biology and uh, a lot of related fields but 1968 i decided to I go to graduate school for a Ph.D. and uh, graduated uh, there in 1972, specializing in uh, reproductive aging and oxidative changes. And it was the uh, oxidative metabolism that I saw uh, changing with aging, uh, which was really uh, against the grain already at that time, uh, I, I saw an increase of uh, reductive activity with aging. Uh, for example, you can put a, a dye in young tissue and old tissue, and uh, uh, reductive enzymes fueled by uh, uh, the energy-producing system and, and the uh, uh, internal antioxidant system is, is part of it. Uh, the older tissue reduced the dye much more energetically, uh, looking like it was more alive. Hmm. Uh, for example, you can test the vitality of any tissue by uh, the intensity of staining of this uh, uh, tetrazoleum uh, chemical. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that uh, an overdose of estrogen or a deficiency of vitamin E or uh, any serious injury such as x-rays will increase the ability of the tissue to stain this dye. Mm -hmm. So uh, aging and uh, these various injuries all increased the reductive 
activity of the tissue, uh, which uh, involves what are called the antioxidative enzyme uh, defense systems. And uh, that, that was what got me interested in the fact that uh, cancer is very rich in antioxidative uh, defenses, uh, not only the enzymes, but a lot of specific uh, chemicals that will um, act as antioxidants. At that time, people were trying to identify the specific chemicals that cancers used to defend themselves against um, oxidative poisons, uh, the chemotherapy, and, and radiation oxidative damage. Uh, but over the last 40 years, uh, it has developed that uh, it isn't just a simple chemical that they produce defensively, but uh, the, the very basic life processes are shifted in that direction, which uh, increases the uh, reductive or antioxidative staining of this tetrazolium and uh, dye just as an indicator that's easy to see. Okay. So um, what uh, caught my attention uh, reading some of these uh, articles recently was that there, there's definitely a, a new uh, new novel way of looking at cells. I know you've mentioned this uh, in the past, uh, prior to doing this show, which is kind of more based on the new findings in the, uh, the, the extracellular matrix, as they call it, and the fluidity within which cells uh, are mobile and constantly in motion. Uh, I think it was always uh, posited before that everything was fairly fixed and once some, a cell had differentiated, it couldn't do anything more, its uh, fate was sealed. But actually the new, stu- new theories and new studies are finding that there's much more of a kind of quantum um, quantum state going on where things are very fluid and cells very much communicate in two directions and are subject to and give instructions to uh, other components in the body so in terms of in, in terms of what they call this extracellular matrix uh, in which this in which the cells kind of reside uh, what impl- what implications does this have for understanding an approach to cancer treatment for example um, well the the uh, rigid doctrine of the organism that governs uh, current cancer therapy, uh, it really was imposed on a, a more basic uh, biological view that started around 1830 with Johannes Müller in Germany, who uh, described uh, tumors as a problem of organization, not of defective cells. Right. and. Uh, that approach has uh, it continued through embryology uh, right through the 1930s and 1940s uh, in which uh, people could uh, dissociate uh, uh, an embryo or a, a primitive organism and show that the cells themselves could reconstruct the organism after they had been entirely separated. <laughs> uh, so the... Uh, the, the environment that they live in is constantly being constructed to, to meet their needs. Uh, the cells uh, have particular needs, and uh, they will change the environment to uh, meet those needs if they have the energy and the resources. Um, if for some reason uh, 
a cell or an organ becomes idle, uh, it uh, loses its sense of direction. Uh, if, if there's no stimulation and no energy flowing through the system, uh, the, the cell doesn't uh, have any particular uh, occupation or knowledge of what it should be doing. But ordinary cells, uh, everything else being uh, ideal, uh, will, if they see a defect in their environment, uh, they will reach out and correct the defect. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, extracellular matrix, the main components are collagen for stiffness, okay. uh, rigid uh, linear molecules that twist around each other. And uh, in between those stiff uh, collagen molecules, there are uh, carbohydrate chains, polysaccharides, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, some with, with proteins attached, but uh, uh, some just uh, simple polysaccharides with amino groups on them that uh, retain water and uh, uh, create a, an elastic or springy environment against the, the pure hard environment of the of pure collagen right. system. Okay. And cells prefer a certain rigidity of environment when you take an isolated cell and put it on a, a, a surface that varies in stiffness. The cells will creep towards <laughs> the stiffer, uh, firmer footing. Uh, they don't like squishy things to sit on. Uh-huh. And if you uh, inject uh, broken down uh, collagen fibers into an organism or a developing embryo, the cells will uh, rearrange the, the disorganized collagen that you have uh, given them. Uh, they're sort of like bricklayers. <laughs> they will align it in the direction they want uh-huh. and tug on it and uh, communicate partly just by the, the way they tug and uh-huh. the other cells sense the tugging and pull back and uh, because they have an inherent knowledge of the structure in which they should be in. Yeah, and, and they, they like it fairly solid, but uh, they can uh, create more of the polysaccharide uh, so that it holds more water okay. and uh, is open and able to diffuse right. things to feed them. Right. Uh, so it has to be just right. And uh, there are various specific proteins that they uh, secrete to attach themselves uh, to do that uh, pulling and pushing. Uh, but uh, there are some uh, proteins at the surface which happen to be uh, chemically uh, connected and interactive with the very structure of the cell all the way through uh, in a, a very coherent uh, unifying way that the the sulfur and sulfhydryl system of the cell is is what gives it uh, much of its uh, toughness Uh, and it it has to um, be constantly uh, broken down and reformed because the cell inside 
is constantly in motion. So you're saying that there's a constant uh, uh, connection of sulfhydryl from the outside of the cell to the center of the cell? Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, about 40 years ago, some experimenters found that if they blocked those surface uh, sulfur groups, uh-huh. uh, the cell couldn't stick to its environment. So, so the, uh, the degree of reduction and oxidation of the surface uh, sulfur groups it is a very big part of how it sticks to its huh. environment and uh, gets where it has to be and, and helps to shape its environment. Right. Uh, and that degree of oxidation is governed by uh, what, uh, what uh, has been called the antioxidant defense system. Huh. Okay. All right. You're listening to Ask Your Web Doctor on KMD Garberville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show, uh, people are invited to call in with any questions they may have uh, regarding this month's uh, subject of thinking outside the box for cancer therapy. Uh, now, Dr. Pete, uh, here in a bit here, we'll get into the... Uh, specifics of how reduction oxidation works in cells and how the new new findings are showing that actually the the concept of antioxidants are not necessarily positive uh, and how perhaps we can influence uh, that system to be more beneficial towards resolving cancers uh, also going to be bringing up a uh, article uh, a very interesting article that everyone can uh, go to the internet and take a look at uh, written by uh, Mina Bissell uh, on the uh, programs called TED Talks. Uh, basically, there's a 15-minute talk on the uh, architecture and context, the form and function uh, of the organization of uh, the cell and how cancers uh, are viewed in a different light now. And she's had some pretty exciting, uh, pretty exciting results. So, Dr. Pete, in, in terms of the... Um, We've mentioned very briefly the, the the reduction and oxidation of cells uh, or, or components of cells or molecules that are part of, uh, say, electron transport chain or uh, modifying chemicals. Can you can you uh, dis- describe this how how this potential works in the matrix um, and uh, how this can determine the outcome of disease and health? Uh, I guess from making the uh, simplistic. Uh, consumption of antioxidants, for example, a bad choice, perhaps, for cancer strategy? Um, if you look at the the balance between uh, oxidants and antioxidants or reductants right. in the cell, uh, many people think of it as a, a reducing environment or an antioxidative environment. But when you look at specific components, such as the the molecule that transfers electrons from uh, glucose, for example, to the mitochondrion to be oxidized. Uh, NAD uh, is the uh, coenzyme, and it becomes reduced to NADH, which is the uh, source of the antioxidant uh, electrons. And uh, if you look at the healthy cell, the ratio of the oxidized form is hundreds of times <laughs> The, the uh, reduced form is about 500 or more times uh, the, uh, 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 did I say that wrong? The, the oxidized form is, is 500 times greater than the reduced form. Okay. And uh, so that that's the governing uh, antioxidant. Is the oxidized which form. Is in a, a highly oxidized right. state. And... Uh, <coughs> That is in balance with ascorbic acid and uh, 
uh, coenzyme Q10 and uh, uh, vitamin E and the sulfur uh, system, glutathione and uh, glutathione disulfide. Uh, these are all energized by the, uh, the electron from NADH, uh, which comes from uh, glucose normally. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the cell normally is in this really highly oxidized state, as determined by the ratio of NAD to NADH. Okay. Uh, and if the cell is sick, for example, a cancer cell, uh, the ratio approaches one to one. It's almost uh, 50% in the reduced antioxidant state. Wow. And if you injure a cell, you turn on this uh, signaling uh, system that uh, James Watson talked about as uh, one of the problems that uh, he says people are looking for uh, some way to turn that off so you don't uh, keep pushing the cell in the direction of too much reduction. Uh, But in fact, uh, anything that irritates the cell is likely to turn on uh, more of the reducing system and push it in that direction of stress or cancer with a high ratio of NADH to NAD mm-hmm. a- approaching one-to-one. But you're saying that you want it in a uh, oxidized form. You want the cell not to have access to antioxidant activity. Yeah, the healthy active cell yeah. has a, about <coughs> 500 times more right. the oxidized NAD. Okay. And um, uh, when the uh, people who are selling uh, their uh, very powerful antioxidants. A lot of the advertisements say it's many times more powerful than uh, vitamin C or than vitamin E. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but what they're doing is testing the antioxidants in vitro in a test tube, right. and uh, they will uh, attack and destroy uh, the oxidizing uh, fragments, uh, free radicals. But it happens that just like the NAD, NADH couple, mm-hmm. which is highly oxidized, the things in balance with that, ascorbic acid and vitamin E, for example, mm-hmm. inside the cell, they become oxidized. Uh, the uh, de- right. <laughs> dehydroascorbic acid is an oxidant, and it's eight times more concentrated in the cell than outside. <laughs> Uh, it's relatively hydrophobic, and it, it goes to the uh, oily parts of the cell. So that will itself break down an antioxidant from on the outside of the cell. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it uh, when you're uh, irritating the cell and turning on the uh, the defensive mm-hmm. uh, antioxidant reductive systems uh, and producing uh, a lot of the uh, uh, fragments that reduce glutathione, the, one of the sulfur uh, molecules that, that uh, exchanges throughout the system. Uh, when the cell is irritated, uh, that and the uh, associated ascorbic acid, which becomes reduced, and the vitamin E, which becomes reduced, these will uh, sop up the, uh, the toxic fragments. But the trouble is that the uh, the system which normally should be oxidized all the way through the ascorbic acid, vitamin C, 
uh, vitamin E uh, uh, coenzyme Q10 and so on mm-hmm. uh, these the whole system gets stuck in an over reduced over uh, electrified right. form not enough oxidation going on right. to uh, pull it back where it should be and uh, since the 1930s people have seen that any cell which is dividing goes into this highly reduced state in which everything shifts to the uh, self-hydral rather than the disulfide form. Okay, and this includes the cancer cells then? Uh, yeah, and uh, normal cells go into this phase <coughs> very quickly, divide, and then return to their oxidized state. Right. And the, uh, the vitamin E and vitamin C uh, go back to becoming oxidants. <laughs> and uh, keeping the system uh, tightened up, helping to squeeze water out of the system. And the, the balance where the, uh, the, the membrane uh, potential of a cell is normally around 100 millivolts difference uh, mm-hmm. when you measure it with an electrode stuck into it. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, r- redox <laughs> difference is in a range of about 15 millivolts, a very small fraction of, of right. the uh, uh, energy which is available for reduction. Uh, if, if you measure the voltage uh, between uh, glucose and oxygen, it's over a volt. So it's about 100 times more than the uh, difference of 15 millivolts, which uh, governs practically all of the reactions in the cell. Uh, the enzymes which uh, produce energy, uh, synthesize protein, uh, which govern the the economy of the cell, these are sensitive to being reduced uh, or oxidized. And so this 15 millivolt difference can shift the whole economy of the cell. Uh It's a pretty tight range within which uh, normality exists. Yeah, and when you measure the, uh, the products, uh, such as pyruvic acid versus lactic acid, uh, these are uh, an excreted or uh, easily extracted index of the oxidative or reductive mm-hmm. state of the cell. Mm-hmm. And so when the cell is in trouble, it turns pyruvic acid into lactic acid by reducing it. Uh, so that's a, a reflection of the highly reduced antioxidant state when the cell is distressed and making lactic acid. Right. Uh, when oxygen is working properly, right. it's uh, not producing lactic acid. It's using, consuming the uh, pyruvic acid, turning it into carbon dioxide. Uh, so the ratio between not only pyruvic acid and lactic acid, but uh, overall it would be between lactic acid versus carbon dioxide. Okay. Uh, carbon dioxide is an acid and uh, uh, so, in, in a sense, it's an oxidant. It uh, causes retraction of electrons. Because the, uh, the, the the fundamental here is basically mopping up electrons. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, okay. So, let me let me ask you this: <coughs> the um, reactive oxygen species, okay, so are a group of uh, molecules uh, governed uh, electrically. The <laughs> The anti the antioxidant system versus the reactive oxygen species system. 
Um, in, in terms of inflammation and what free radicals, I, I think, I, as I've understood, free radical damage to be uh, a result of you know, free radical liberation that isn't mopped up by antioxidants, is it, is it almost that free radicals are almost... I, can, I, I always think of free radicals now as being a little more beneficial than the antioxidants because they... Uh, that's uh, that's uh, uh, Watson's interpretation, but uh, I think <laughs> that's because of his 50 years as a reductionist, uh, when he comes out of the, uh, the, the static mechanical uh, view of, of genetics and, and looks at the metabolism of the cell, he, he tends to uh, uh, over-concretize and uh, uh, the... Uh, antioxidant system uh, is uh, doing good stuff defending against toxic free radicals but uh, the oxidative normal functions involving uh, ascorbic acid or dehydroascorbate and vitamin E and uh, uh, the uh, sulfhydryl balancing system uh, uh, those are able to control the system that he suggests uh, the, the toxic free radicals right. uh, would be doing, right. and, and so you can get both both the uh, good defensive uh, process against free radicals and and the uh, uh, limiting of the the production of, of more free radicals without resorting to one of the toxic chemicals that he's right. suggesting. Right, because you're, uh, you're, you're advocating, and I know you have not just for the subject in hand, but in, in general as uh, a good health practice from uh, advocating plenty of fruit consumption, for example, uh, you advocate vitamin C uh, and vitamin E as very safe and gentle, relatively gentle in their antioxidant capacity to some of the um, products I know that have been mentioned uh, you talk about the super antioxidants that are touted on the supplement market that people may want to con may have consumed or may have thought were a good thing. But uh, in general, vitamin C and vitamin E are very safe and they do the work very effectively. That's because they are electrically tuned to exactly a certain role huh. or group of roles in the cell. Yeah. And uh, if you put in a, a, a dynamite instead of, <laughs> of uh, alcohol... Uh, you can have the same uh, overall energy expense, but it isn't under control. Right. And uh, some of the antioxidants that they're selling are more like dynamite. Right. That, uh, don't fit into the system, and, and so they don't. They aren't helpful at all. Hmm. And when the the good antioxidants are working properly, uh, the system can run uh, as fast as it wants, practically. Uh, oxidizing at full speed and uh, uh, there are examples of uh, experiments in which uh, as you add thyroid hormone or a chemical that uncouples the uh, production of ATP from simply the burning of oxygen and fuel as you rev up the oxidizing process you get fewer and fewer free radical productions. Hmm. So, because okay. uh, uh, you normally associate free radical production with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the the good antioxidants are working uh, with the mitochondria right. safely, uh, and, and the faster that system runs, 
the fewer electrons get away to cause the mm-hmm. dangerous free radicals. So this is a bit like the aerobic versus anaerobic glycolysis and its uh, effects. Uh, yeah, yeah the, um, when the cell gets out of control, uh, it, uh, oxygen is no longer able to uh, suck up the electrons, and so the cell has to expel the electrons in the form of lactic acid. Right. And right. that's a survival mechanism, but it happens that when you do that, uh, the, the uh, desperate production of, of lactic acid to draw off excess electrons, it happens to raise the pH inside the cell and lower the pH outside the cell. And uh, I think it was the embryologist Holtfrater who demonstrated that if you put an embryo in a slightly acidified solution, uh, the cells simply leave the embryo and float off and do their own thing. <laughs> okay. And uh, so the cancer or the stress metabolism acidifying outside the cell is uh, tending to uh, destroy the, the cell's connection to its environment, and at the same time, raising the pH inside the cell uh, makes it swell up, take up water, and uh, shifts the uh, self-hydral balance into the reduced state and uh, tends to turn on constant uh, cell division. Okay, well, I guess before we get into the uh, uh, Danopoulos uh, previous experiments uh, and uh, research with urea for the treatment of cancers, including that of liver cancer, um, I I know that from an oxidant versus antioxidant perspective, that um, exercise in its own right then generates uh, sufficient biological oxidants, uh, which could be uh, perhaps used as a valid approach to diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, and some cancers. And I've seen that there is some research to support that, that they exercise, especially for diabetes, but um, in some instances for cardiovascular disease and cancer is actually fairly pertinent. Um, yeah, exercise uh, will um, cause cells to take up glucose in the absence of uh, uh, insulin mm-hmm. and uh, will uh, make them uh, operate effectively. Uh, but uh, just like the uncoupling protein or the increased thyroid, uh, these are the, the cell's uh, equivalents of exercise uh, so that uh, when everything is, is working in an organized way, uh, the cells are exercising by uh, uh, simply burning oxygen and fuel and warming themselves up. So uh, exercise uh, should uh, keep everything active, but when, when it doesn't, the, the organism can defend itself and uh, imitate exercise by running things at a higher speed. Okay. All right, you're listening to Ask Your Rebel Doctor on KMD Gabbo 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, invited, uh, callers are invited to call in with any questions they have, uh, hopefully surrounding tonight's subject of uh, uh, novel approaches to cancer. Uh, so like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, we're hopefully going to get into uh, a little bit uh, later on about uh, liver cancer uh, and some of the work done by uh, a pioneering doctor back in the 80s, uh, which is still relevant today, uh, concerning urea therapy. Uh, the number, if you live in the area, is uh, 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, there's an 800 number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. 
Okay, so Dr. Doc, can I just get in there quickly? We got a call since yeah. the top of the hour. Uh, someone called to say there are two loose, friendly brown and white pit bulls running loose on Branscombe Road between number 2015 and Laytonville. And this phone call just came in. So if those might be your dogs running loose on uh, Branscombe Road, two brown and white pit bulls, uh, folks want you to know they're out running loose. Thanks. So, Dr. Pete, I, uh, I, I looked earlier on at that 15-minute, uh, uh, well, it wasn't a podcast, but it was a video, basically, the TED Talks that uh, Mina Bissell presented. Um, it's a very interesting work that she was uh, doing and uh, quite quite amazing where the, she had shown that the, uh, the context and the architecture of the cell was very much the governing force behind whether or not cancers were present. And I know... Uh, from your, what you were mentioning earlier on about the extracellular matrix of the, uh, you know, the whole solution around the cell, within the cell, it's all very fluid, the cytoskeleton, this all starts from the outside and works its way in, it's constant. And, and the energy that uh, should be present within a healthy cell uh, gives the um, potential to signal and to allow changes to happen so that everything's ordered. Now, what she was uh, what she was bringing up was uh, I think she was specialising in breast cancer, and she'd uh, showed that uh, clip uh, during the uh, fifteen minute speech that she gave about the uh, the uh, duct cell, one of the duct cells that secretes milk. Uh, it, was, it was a pre a pre pre cancerous stage, and then a cancerous stage, and then she basically proved that it could be the cancerous cell could get turned back to its normal state, not by poisoning it or radiating it, but by allowing the extracellular matrix in which it was growing to be normalized. And I know this is an approach that you're um, positing now as a a novel way of approaching a disease in general, not just cancers, but other diseases. So that it's more of a functional uh, disorganization of the environment in which the cells operate that is the cause rather than the cells themselves becoming mutant or aberrant or just losing their program or whatever is, is popular vogue uh, theory for you know, health. The exercise idea is very relevant to uh, breast cancer. Uh, you've probably heard the statistics that uh, women who are constantly having babies and nursing mm-hmm. Uh, through their whole uh, fertile years, uh, have a very low risk of right. breast cancer. Right, right. And uh, so <clears throat> what is working keeps working. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cells which are uh, have a load and a job to do are keeping their extracellular matrix organized, organized right. to, to support <laughs> what they're doing. Do, do you, we, we do have a call, and I want to get this call very quickly, but I do also want to ask you whether or not, how, how much credence do you think the uh, high exposure to progesterone during pregnancy has on uh, that fact that they have very low incidence of breast cancer? Do, do you, how much of that part do you think it plays? Um, I, I think that's the main thing. Hmm. Uh, it erases, uh, for example, looking at connective <coughs> tissue like, mm-hmm. like the tendons, uh, which are almost pure connective tissue. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you uh, expose an, a rabbit, for example, to estrogen, the uh, connective tissue, such as the tendon, becomes stiff and hardened. Right. And uh, every time it becomes pregnant uh, and the estrogen goes up, you see a, a shift momentarily towards hardening. But uh, after each pregnancy, it's less hardened 
than before. And uh, it's the uh, progesterone which reverses those changes, even in the connective tissue, the extracellular matrix. And uh, it's uh, also erasing the intracellular uh, estrogen functions. Uh, The synthesis of estrogen, uh, the uh, failure to detoxify it, and the tendency to bind it, all of these are uh, regulated by progesterone as an anti-estrogen good okay well let's get this uh, caller then and see uh, see see where this caller's question is going hi caller you're on the air and where are you from hi dr pete and andrew you and i have spoken uh, over computer stuff and my question is um i was born with some interesting genetics and i've always wondered how it happened that i was born from two eggs huh. and i have lots of things because of that uh um, both genders because of that and i i wondered how to, how to, how did that happen <laughs> dr p i think uh, uh, i think your well one moment caller i think uh, your condition is uh, chimerism isn't it you 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 are a chimera as far as i remember I don't know. I think the caller might have hung up, actually. But Dr. Pete, chimeras, I think they're extremely rare in the population. Um, uh, yeah, the embryologists have, have made them. And uh, <laughs> uh, you can. Uh, that, that's one of the early uh, demonstrations that uh, mutations uh, aren't the cause of cancer. Somatic mutation theory mm-hmm. uh, was made defunct 40 years ago when someone took uh, a cell from a tumor and stuck it in an early embryo. Uh, the tumor came from, I think it was a black hamster, and they put it in uh, the uh, embryo from a, 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 a white hamster. Both of its parents were white. And uh, the uh, developing organism had four parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, a mixture of white and black inheritance showing that what had been a cancer cell uh, developed into an ordinary part of the organism. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the sort of thing that uh, on a, 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 a more highly uh, differentiated tissue that Mina Bissell is demonstrating, that it's the environment, not the uh, genes, which make a cancer. So, what do you uh, do? You, do you have any? Uh, do you have anything to say about chimeras in uh, the human population and how how they uh, how they come about or how uh, how um, yeah how rare we know they're rare. Oh, uh, so. I, I think they're probably not as extremely rare ah. <laughs> as, as one would suppose because uh, the the, uh, the the early embryos, uh, if they happen to. Uh, get too close it's very easy for them to mix and form one one organism because mm-hmm. people can have uh, two two or more blood types their red blood cells can express the uh, uh, the markers for you know o positive and uh, rhesus rhesus groups or b you know it could be b rhesus negative in the same person i found that quite fascinating that <laughs> Okay, well let's 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 move on then. Um, so, oh look out! I think there's another caller. Let's let's take this next caller before we move on. Hi, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? 
Yeah, I can barely hear you for some reason. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you fine. But you're Hello? Sa- you, yeah, I can hear you fine. You're saying that you can't. Hello. Hello. I can hear you, but can Hello? You, yeah, I can hear you. Oh well, maybe that caller should call back in again if they've hung up. Um, yeah. Okay, I think this is some part of what we'll hopefully get uh, uh, resolved. We, we did have another caller who uh, really wanted to ask Dr. Pete something, if I could use this opportunity. Sure. He wanted to know about low-carb diets, uh, the fat-burning ketone diet in specifically. He said it's uh, helped him quite a bit. He wanted to know what Dr. Pete thought about that, the okay. ketone diet. Yeah, what do you think of that, Dr. Pete? Um, you don't produce the ketones unless you're... Um raising your cortisol enough to uh, activate the conversion of protein into uh, the ketones uh, to activate the conversion of protein into glucose uh, at the the same time you're uh, uh, turning some of the fat into uh, ketones. So it's a pretty stressful... uh... Uh, Yeah, Yeah. and I I think the the problem occurs over... a few years of exposure to that uh, increased breakdown of protein. Uh, the, the cortisol is affecting your connective tissues, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the, the uh, explorer, uh, I don't remember his name at the moment, uh, Arctic explorer who uh, advocated a meat diet, mm-hmm. uh, he noticed that uh, the um, Eskimos were... Uh, very prematurely aged in appearance. Their, right. their skin right. uh, became very wrinkled. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's what you would expect uh, from being exposed to very high cortisol right. constantly. Right. So the ketone diet is a pretty stressful way to do anything like lose weight. And uh, losing weight in general is not a very good idea unless it's done slowly. Uh, especially in people that have uh, lots of stored polyunsaturates in their fat makeup, which is most people, unless they're really watching what they eat and avoiding polyunsaturates and making sure they consume lots of saturated fats. Actually, it's a very, uh, I want to make a very quick point here. I was uh, back in England uh, three weeks ago for a couple of weeks, and uh, on my way out of the airport, I grabbed a couple of uh, periodicals to read while I was on the plane. Uh, I got a uh, New Scientific, and I got the Daily Telegraph, and um, on the cover of the New Scientist, it uh, had a picture of a frying pan and the word F-A-C-T. The C was a piece of uh, uh, carbonized um, uh, bacon and the F and the A and the T of the word fact were still intact. And it, so what you saw was fat uh, with a uh, carbonized piece of bacon forming the C, but it was blackened against the black background of the frying pan. And it said, have we really got 40 years of dietary advice wrong? Uh, and it was actually uh, a good breath of fresh air, another one of the uh, breaths that hopefully wake people up enough when they get enough uh, these fresh breaths coming in that to, to say that um, they were very much behind uh, especially dairy saturated fat uh, and that all saturated fat in general was very good for you and that the uh, polyunsaturates and the uh, margarines and the fish oils are actually being shown now to turn be turned on their head and they were actually saying yep we think we've got 40 years of dietary advice wrong so that was good to see 
<clears throat> and then uh, the other sad point I did see in the uh, Daily Telegraph was that in England they're now running uh, GM crops. And I, when I left England in 2001, they were, actually Europe was all GMO-free. Uh, so now in England they're actually making a GMO crop to express omega-3 oils so that they can feed this crop to GM salmon that are grown in the environment that doesn't allow them to pick up the... Uh, uh, the, the polyunsaturate from the algae uh, and the microorganisms that they eat. So they're now going to feed them a GM crop expressing omega-3s. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, so not too sure what's happening, folks, but I know California's still uh, on the cutting edge, I think, of uh, trying to see sideways here with our uh, food and environment and everything else that's going on. So hopefully uh, between the West Coast and the East Coast of the States, we can uh, keep this kind of thing going and alive. Um, so anyway, Dr. Pete, I wanted to... Uh, bring up uh, Dr. Danopoulos's, uh his work with urea therapy uh, from the 80s. I know I had a, uh, a caller some time ago that I got personally who was uh, looking for uh, some help and information regarding liver cancer. And I know Danopoulos had done quite a bit of work in, uh, uh, in 1980 publishing clinical oncology about uh, an 11-year experience using oral urea treatment in liver malignancies. Um, how much, how familiar are you with um, urea as a as a compound for the treatment of carcinomas or uh, other you know, cancers? Um, in the First World War, it was used uh, as an emergency treatment to uh, stimulate healing in wounds mm-hmm. and hold down infections. Okay. And uh, around that time, 1920s, I think it was uh, often used for inoperable cancer to pack it with urea to uh, it actually uh, was uh, not only uh, keeping down infection but uh, I think it was actually having a healing influence and uh, the um, effect of forming lactic acid that I mentioned uh, which causes the uh, pH of the cell to become more alkaline inside uh, that causes swelling and swelling promotes uh, replication, proliferation, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, simply an osmotic environment, which could be uh, very concentrated uh, sodium chloride or urea happens to be a very innocuous substance. Uh, it uh, doesn't exactly have an osmotic effect like uh, uh, sodium chloride mm-hmm. because the, the sodium is kept out of the cell. Right. Uh, but the, the re- urea uh, acts somewhat like an osmotic uh, dehydrator. It uh, helps to prevent uh, excess swelling and water retention. You think that this is one of its main effects, and that's how it's keeping swelling down? I, I think so. Huh. Okay. And uh, the, um, the dehydrated cell uh, becomes more oxidatively active and catabolic burning fuel faster, where the swollen cell is anabolic and uh, uh, simply growing and dividing. Uh, So uh, many things can uh, help to uh, reduce that water retention. Uh, I think urea uh, would work uh, well with a a good thyroid program, which helps you to retain the normal amount of uh, sodium chloride. Uh, hypothyroid people uh, not only produce uh, the uh, uh, matrix which is overhydrated 
it shifts the uh, the cells so that they produce molecules that hold water outside of cells. Uh, but the, the uh, low thyroid function lets your kidneys lose sodium while retaining water. And uh, so any of the osmotic therapies such as uh, urea, I think, would work nicely with uh, uh, supplementing thyroid to uh, normalize the, the sodium retention. Mm. Good. All right, we do have. A, I think we have a couple of callers on on the air, so I should uh, start by taking uh, one of these. The first caller, you're on the air. Caller, where are you from? This is uh, David Back, the caller we had earlier, who's okay. having trouble. Okay. Hey, David. Go ahead. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, look out. <laughs> Engineering, what's going on? <laughs> I, I don't understand. He, he can hear me when I talk to him. Okay. We can hear him. Mm-hmm. But he, can you hear me now? I can hear you. I've, I've heard we can hear you fine, David. Okay. Uh, so I guess I can hear you now. Hopefully. Can, are we okay? Can you hear me, David, or not? Okay. Sorry about yeah, that. He can't hear um, me, so you're going to have to relay this, I think. Dr. P? Yes? Yes, I... Uh, you know, and this is, I guess, a little off topic, but in a way it's not. When you're describing these processes, I mean, you do it so beautifully, and I, I, it, 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 it seems very complicated, but are you actually seeing images? Like, do you actually see these processes? And I know, of course, a lot of this probably is not has not been photographed through microscopic um, techniques and different things, so are you just in a way, yeah, integrating yeah, I, all this information I, and seeing things? I, I see little uh, models. <laughs> not, that I, not that I've seen anything exactly like it, but I have mental models, for example, of uh, uh, the extension of the sulfhydryl groups onto the surface of a, of a cell. I, I have very concrete pictures of how that works, and so... Uh, it helps me uh, when I'm looking for information to uh, uh, check against the, the published research facts to to have a, a concrete mental image. Yeah, and the reason I'm asking that question is you were explaining like the collagen lining up and all, and and a lot of times when I'm reading your work, I'm I'm, I'm I find myself trying to imagine these things, and then I'm thinking that's got to be an important part of your process in trying to imagine since you're a painter, visual images of how this actually might look. Is that true? Oh, oh sure. Yeah, I, I've always uh, been aware of having a, a map of where I'm going. And I, I was surprised in graduate school when a, a psychology professor uh, was surprised at my description. And I asked him how he uh, found his way from his home to his office. And he said, go out the front door, turn left, turn left again, turn right. <laughs> it was all a set of rules. And I, th- I think some professorial types actually think in terms of, of words and rules. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I, the other thing I, I, I thought about in line with, with uh, you know, the, the like almost visualizations of how this works is, you know, through the years, I've heard of different healers and, and people that, you know, are more new agey kind of things where they try to get people to imagine certain things and then try to heal it. But then I started thinking, if you were really seeing this 
like you're seeing it, you really could, in a way, uh, be a part of the healing process in that you're, you're seeing what's wrong and you're seeing what you need to do to fix it. Um, you know what I mean? Know, the, the, we were talking about the, uh, the, the different theories of what a cancer is. At, at the, uh, the new theory is called uh, Toft Tissue Organization Field Theory, and uh, I think that needs uh, another adjective, uh, organismic. Uh, it isn't just the, uh, the local tissue organization, but it's also the, the way that tissue fits into the whole organism and how the activity of the organism uh, keeps everything working, uh, loading all of its parts uh, so that they know what they're doing. It's very, it's very much the, uh, and I don't want to make a quip here, but it's very much the holistic uh, <clears throat> way of looking at it. And that's what I found was so interesting with, uh, uh, even though it may not have been totally accurate, Dr. Watson's uh, uh, comments uh, that we made earlier, and also this kind of novel approach to cancer treatment through the looking at the extracellular matrix as very much a holistic environment upon which every cell is in communication with every other cell. Stem cells are arising all the time, and actually nothing is fixed. Everything is very fluid and dynamic and very much, uh, very much able to change very quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, individual cells, for example, pigment cells, uh, you can sometimes see them uh, migrating through the tissue, and they move at the same rate that uh, cells have been found to be able to crawl on a glass slide. <laughs> and uh, that, at body temperature, uh, that can be uh, something like a, a centimeter and a half per day. Uh-huh. <laughs> a very tiny cell really zips along through the solid <laughs> tissue. Uh-huh. Far out. Well, listen, I, I think we better probably wrap. There's two callers on the air, but we're not going to be able to take them, unfortunately. It's three minutes to the uh, top of the hour. And um, uh, once again, we've kind of run out of time. But uh, let me just let people know how to find out more about you, Dr. Pete. And thanks so much for joining. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, once again, uh, unfortunately, sorry for those callers who perhaps uh, wanted to ask questions but didn't manage to get through in time. Um, Dr. Ray P uh, is a wealth of experience and a wealth of resources uh, available and freely shared on the internet. His website is www.raypeat.com. Uh, most of his, well, all of his articles, no, it's not most, but all of his articles are uh, referenced, uh, so it's not just uh, his opinion, uh, what he's read, what he thinks. Uh, there's lots of references to the uh, to the work that's been done, pioneering work by people that unfortunately we don't hear often enough that don't make the mainstream. But there are times when uh, people people like uh, Mina Bissell uh, and all the other people that Dr. Pete uh, just brings to the uh, show in terms of the uh, pioneers that have done the work that we're talking about uh, very much make the contributions that are thinking outside the box and it's that thinking outside the box that really fundamentally changes everything uh, from what we do to what we eat and the whole quantum mechanics thing is also another very exciting uh, field that's making the seemingly impossible possible. So, uh, yeah, go take a look at his website. There's lots of articles ranging from uh, diabetes to saturated fats versus polyunsaturated, uh, cancer, dementia, inflammation, 
thyroid uh, specialties are uh, th- hormones, uh, reproductive hormones and aging hormones. So uh, very interesting work there. Lots of it is very scientific, but uh, it's also very readable. Uh, for those of you who have joined us this evening, thanks so much for uh, listening. Uh, until the third Friday of next month, uh, we can be reached toll-free 1-888-WBM-HERB for any questions, uh, regular business hours, 9 till 5. Uh, until September, the 3rd September of next month, uh, good night.